This program is made possible by the members and donors of the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from AJ+, The David Pakman Show, Counterspin, The Bradcast, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Tom Hartman Program, The Young Turks, Moyers and Company, and The Lyndon B. Johnson Library. And remember that voting is a right, driving is a privilege. Maybe write that on your hand if it helps you remember. Democracy works best when its voting system is free, fair, and accessible to all eligible voters, right? But voter participation in this year's midterm elections might not be as easy as it should be. Here are three voting laws that might keep some Americans from the polls. More states than ever are now requiring voters to show a form of photo ID when casting their ballots. So what's the big deal? Well, more than one in ten U.S. citizens don't actually have one. This includes 25% of African Americans, 20% of 18 to 29 year olds, and low income voters, groups that traditionally vote Democratic. Supporters of voter ID laws say that they prevent voter fraud, except that voter fraud is extremely rare. Between 2000 and 2014, there were 31 incidents of voter fraud out of 1 billion ballots cast. And don't mess with Texas, because the Supreme Court recently sided with the state's lawmakers to enact voter ID laws in this midterm election. Texans now have to present one of seven eligible IDs in order to cast their vote. And while a gun permit is considered an official ID, a university ID is not. And Texas isn't alone. A total of 31 states require IDs at the polls this year. Early voting is already underway, except that in some states, it's not all that easy. Voting early allows a person to cast a ballot on a day and time that doesn't get in the way of things like work or childcare. But in states like Wisconsin, politicians are fighting to reduce or even eliminate early voting. The state's Republican Governor Scott Walker recently cut weekend voting and nighttime voting. Backers of Walker's bill say that rural counties don't need weekend voting, so why should city folks be able to vote early when they can't? But here's something they don't mention. Voters in Wisconsin's biggest cities, Milwaukee and Madison, are disproportionately people of color. And Governor Walker is also in a tight gubernatorial race where the outcome will largely be determined by how many people come out to vote. And just to put early voting in perspective, in the 2012 presidential election, one-third of voters cast a ballot before Election Day. Oh, and African Americans are 26 times more likely to vote early. And then there's same-day registration, something offered in a small number of states. It allows folks to register and vote on the same day. Not only is it super convenient for people that have moved around a lot, most commonly low-income folks and young adults, it's also increased voter turnout, particularly among people of color. Is it any surprise, then, that some states have ended same-day registration? Take North Carolina, for example, one of the most important battleground states in the country. During the 2008 presidential election, 36% of same-day registration voters were African-American, even though they represented 20% of eligible voters. Obama won the state by a small margin. And now, with a close Senate race whose outcome could determine which party controls the Senate as a whole, it seems every vote in North Carolina will count. So those are just a few examples of how voter restriction laws are playing out across the country. So is American democracy at its best if some voters can't even cast their ballot?
We've been talking a lot about the desperate efforts from the right to try to prevent people from voting because they recognize that they're really having a problem with the demographic and ideological shifts that are taking place in this country. And the right touts voter ID requirements as something that simply needs to be demanded of everybody to prevent so-called voter fraud. Now remember, the type of voter fraud that the right claims to want to prevent by passing these laws basically doesn't exist. Do not forget this, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever someone talks about this, remember that there have been almost no cases of these types of voter fraud in the last couple of decades. These are people showing up to vote and claiming to be somebody else. So I show up at my neighbor's polling place. Well, that would be my place at my across town neighbor's polling place and say, oh, I'm Joe Schmo and I'm here to vote and I vote for Joe Schmo, even though I'm really David Pakman. And the other one is showing up and voting multiple times at your own polling place, which is just absurd. Obviously, you're checked off when you vote and there's no reason to think that would happen. And it isn't happening. So this is Republicans looking for a solution to a problem that does not exist. However, there's a whole other reason that we should be really concerned about these voter ID requirements and that ladies and gentlemen, is that the voter IDs are not really free. You hear from the right that this is not a poll tax because the ID itself is free, and that's true. However, there is a study that was done in Texas which found, and this is in a really great article in The Atlantic by Peter Beinart, that Texans who earned less than $20,000 per year were more than 10 times more likely to lack the proper identifi identification required to vote. Okay? So there's a study called Accepted Photo Identification and Different Subgroups in the Eligible Voter Population. And to get one of these free IDs, the study found, you need another form of identification. For most people, this is a birth certificate. The birth certificate, according to the Brennan Center for Justice, costs between 8 and $25 to obtain if you don't have it. Now, if you've moved... If you have a situation where you just don't have these family records, it's very, very possible that you need to get your birth certificate in order to get a so-called free voter ID. That's 8 to $25. In addition, married women often need to present a marriage license explaining, proving that they are originally the person whose name is shown in the birth certificate because their new last name may not match the birth certificate since they are now married. Those cost between 8 and $20. This is the key piece of data. This is amazing, Lewis. Back in the civil rights era, uh, poll taxes were outlawed. At the time, the poll taxes would have been $10.64 in today's dollars. So the poll tax back then would be 1064 today. We're talking about a poll tax here, an ID cost that is between 8 and $45. This, Lewis, is a poll tax. This is not a free ID. And this is yet another way to keep likely Democratic voters from poor areas, from minority areas, from getting the IDs required to vote and they cost money. It is not free. And most of the Republicans behind this don't really care about voter fraud. Uh, they they realize not. that's a non-issue. Do they, re they, they know, Lewis, that you would need to orchestrate something of such a scale to actually flip an election with those techniques that it would be impossible to keep it quiet. And when even when you ask them, they admit that countrywide, every election cycle, there's, uh, there's something like 10 cases of voter fraud. 
Um, and it's obviously uh, it's completely negligible. Add to this the fact that the study found that nearly half a million people without access to a car are more than 10 miles from the nearest office that regularly issues IDs. You have to add to the, to the 8 to $45 cost for the documents you need, transportation. This is a pretty expensive free ID, isn't it, Lewis? Very expensive. This is, uh, this is totally despicable, and it's, it's embarrassing that, that this is happening. The right of citizens of the United States to vote in any primary or other election for president or vice president for electors for president or vice president or for senator or representative in Congress shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state by reason of failure to pay any poll tax or other tax. For a moment there, the media seemed to acknowledge that charges of voter fraud, which Republicans use to call for laws requiring ID at the polls, are only political hype. The New York Times, reporting on a push for ID laws in Washington state, noted a lawyer's comment that the state didn't plan on presenting any actual evidence of fraud at court hearings because they didn't have any. Indeed, it would be accurate to say that the problem of voter fraud has never actually been documented. But voter ID laws intended to suppress voting by young people, minorities, the elderly, and the poor are deemed a controversial issue on which both sides, however unequally supported by fact, must be presented. And here we go again. The September 11th USA Today talked about ongoing court cases in Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Ohio, and noted, quote, those states and others have made voting more difficult in recent years to combat what they claim are instances of voter fraud, close quote. Of the Wisconsin case, the September 13th New York Times reported, quote, Advocates say the requirements prevent voter fraud and encourage confidence in the process, while opponents say the requirements are aimed at suppressing the turnout of Democrats and minorities and that cases of in-person impersonation are rare, close quote. You'd be hard-pressed to guess from that sentence that only opponents' claims have the benefit of being based in reality. This mess was Walking round at 8 a.m. Got two hours before my flight. Love me on my side tonight. Let's look at the Supreme Court. Let's look at voting rights now as we uh, head into this election, as we are in this election, as early voting is now underway, as I said. Uh, okay, let me quickly review all of the major decisions made by the Supreme Court over the, just the past few weeks and how they will affect voters in each of the states. 
where these decisions were made. Uh, first, in Arkansas. And actually, this wasn't the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. This was the Arkansas State Supreme Court struck down that state's Republican photo ID restriction law, finding that it violated the state constitutional right to vote. That's good. In Arkansas, good news Y'all get to vote this year if you want to. If you want to, it's up to you, but you get to vote in Arkansas thanks to the Supreme Court find the state Supreme Court finding that the Republican photo ID restriction law in that state violated the state constitution and the right to vote that is guaranteed to all Arkansas voters over the age of 18. Now, a lot of people think, by the way, that we have no right to vote in this country. It's been interesting to hear this from Republicans over the past several weeks. There's no right to vote. It's a privilege to vote. No, it's it's actually a right to vote. Many state constitutions expressly uh, guarantee that right to vote to all of their uh, eligible voters 18 and over, uh, which is why Arkansas shut down the Republican attempt at voter suppression which was using these, requiring these photo ID restrictions. Arkansas cut it down. Missouri has cut it down in the past because they have a similar provision in their state constitution. Earlier this year, uh, Wisconsin uh, shut it down because they have a state uh, constitutional provision with the right to vote. Pennsylvania shut down. All of these states had Republican uh, photo ID restrictions that were shut down by the state Supreme Court because they were in violation of the state constitution. Now, let's go to the U.S. Constitution in Ohio this year. The U.S. District Court once again ordered Republicans to restore a week of early voting during the so-called Golden Week when people could both register and vote on the same day. Uh, Ohio uh, state courts have done this. I'm sorry, federal courts in Ohio have done this over and over and over uh ordered them to restore restore souls to the polls Sunday that's the uh, early voting on the Sunday before the, the election uh the appellate court agreed with the district court after the republicans there tried to challenge that ruling and then the supreme court overturned both of the lower courts allowing the GOP voter suppression to take place in Ohio this year. They said that, oh, this uh, ruling from the U.S. District Court and the appellate court was just too close to the election day, too close to the beginning of voting, and we don't allow rules to be changed just before the election. So that voter suppression in Ohio was a success, is a success this year. They will uh, shorten early voting and uh, end same-day registration in that one week when you used to be able to do it. Moving on to North Carolina, where there is more bad news. The U.S. Appeals Court ordered that North Carolina Republicans restore same-day registration uh, and allowing ballots to be cast to be counted after they're uh, cast in the wrong precinct. But the Supreme Court overturned that as well, allowing the Republican voter suppression law to take place in North Carolina this year. And in North Carolina, by the way, it is the mother of all voter suppression laws. It does everything that Republicans have tried to do around the country. It uh, uh, shortens early voting. It ends same-day registration. It will, beginning in 2016, require a photo ID restriction. Anyway, the Supreme Court allowed that law to go forward, even though the appeals court said it was a violation of the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution. The Supreme Court allowed it to go forward anyway because, again, 
This uh, appeals court decision they decided was just too close to the election, so we had to leave it in place. So, voter suppression in Ohio, in place. Voter suppression in North Carolina, in place, thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court. And then we get to Wisconsin, where earlier this year, a U.S. District Court judge struck down that state's photo ID voting law, finding that it was a violation of the Voting Rights Act and the U.S. Constitution. That was earlier this year, so that law was out until just a few weeks ago, the appellate court struck down that uh, lower court's ruling, used erroneous reasons to do so, among them that you needed a uh, you need a, an ID to board a plane and to open a bank account, to rent an apartment, so why not to vote? All of that is untrue. It's a lie. You don't need a photo ID to board a plane. The commercial airlines are not about to turn away 30 million customers in this country, paying customers who don't have photo ID restrictions. The ACLU, who was challenging all of this in Wisconsin, uh, chided the Seventh Circuit Court They wrote this, uh, the Seventh Circuit also could not fathom that so many registered Wisconsin voters lack a photo ID. Six, uh, 300,000 of them, by the way. 300,000, uh, perfectly legal voters in Wisconsin lack a photo ID. Seventh Circuit could not imagine that, uh, says the ACLU in, quote, in a world in which photo ID is essential to board an airplane, pick up prescription at a pharmacy, open a bank account, or cash a check. At a, at a currency exchange, buy a gun or enter a courthouse to serve as a juror or watch the argument of this appeal, unquote. That was from the Seventh Circuit's opinion. The ACLU replies to say wrong, 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 and wrong again. Wisconsin flyers, patients, bank customers, gun owners, and court watchers, court watchers do not need photo IDs, only Wisconsin voters. The good news is the Supreme Court then threw out that um, Wisconsin uh, appellate court decision, which means the photo ID law in Wisconsin, where there's this incredibly tight race between uh, Scott Walker, Governor Republican Governor Scott Walker, and his Democratic challenger, Mary Burke, uh, they do not need to present photo ID when voting this year. That's the good news in Wisconsin. And once again, the Supreme Court used the premise that, well, earlier in this year, they did away with the photo ID law. The U.S. District Court did away with it, said it was unconstitutional. So the appellate court can't come along at the last minute and change the rules. So in this case, the Supreme Court uh, precedent that disallows last minute changes to election laws, in this case, it worked against the voter suppressors the Republican voter suppressors. So that's the good news in Wisconsin. You can vote, Wisconsinites, and I expect you to do so if you give a damn about what's going on in your state. Uh, incredibly, and we talked about this on one of the broadcast uh, podcasts over the past couple of weeks, uh, the original judge, the Reagan-appointed conservative Judge Richard Posner on the Seventh Circuit. He's the guy who originally approved the first photo ID restriction in the country back in 2008 in Indiana. The landmark case Crawford versus Marion County. Richard Posner, 
who is the uh, most well-cited uh, jurist in the 20th century, according to uh, the Yale uh, Legal Review. Uh, the, the, the Supreme Court loves this guy. They love Richard Posner. He's the guy who approved photo ID in the first place back in 2008. But this time, years later, he now sees that these laws are meant to do nothing but restrict voters from voting, particularly Democratic voters from voting. He admits now he got it wrong. And on the Seventh Circuit, he was dissenting uh, in that case. When that idiot, Frank Easterbrook, Judge Frank Easterbrook, uh, put out that ruling with all sorts of factual errors in it about needing an ID to board a plane and so on and so forth. Posner absolutely destroyed him. He said that these laws are, quote, a mere fig leaf for efforts to disenfranchise voters likely to vote for the political party that does not control the government. He said there is only one motivation for imposing burdens on voting that are ostensibly designed to discourage voter impersonation fraud if there is no actual danger of such fraud, and that is to discourage voting by persons likely to vote against the party responsible for imposing the burdens. Posner goes on to point out that in every state, every single state where these photo ID restrictions have been put in place, these strict restrictions have been put in place, in every case... It was a Republican House and a Republican uh, Senate in the legislature who did it and a Republican governor who signed the bill. One of my favorite lines from Posner's dissent, and you got to read the whole thing. we got it at bradblog.com. I wrote about it over at Salon uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> he said that, uh, well, his, his partner, in- uh, Easterbrook, who had the majority opinion on the Seventh Circuit, uh, said it, it doesn't really matter if these laws uh, actually... Uh, stop voter fraud. It doesn't matter if they actually give confidence to voters, because as it turns out, they don't give confidence to voters. Voters are equally suspicious of elections in states that have these laws and in states that don't. But Easterbrook said, well, you know, it doesn't matter. The legislature thinks it improves confidence in elections. And we know this because the Wisconsin legislature passed this law. Therefore, uh, we have to, uh, you know, give them the legislative discretion. Posner responded, quote, if the Wisconsin legislature says witches are a problem, shall Wisconsin courts be permitted to conduct witch trials? Man, I love that Richard Posner. Reagan appointed conservative ju- uh, judge on the Seventh Circuit, and his opinion on this matter is going to come into play later on. When the Wisconsin law, which has for now been knocked down, when that comes back, uh, it is currently being appealed by the state of Wisconsin, and it will no doubt find its way to the Supreme Court along with a lot of these other photo ID restriction cases. Uh, Posner's response was amazing. Here at Best of the Left, we know that it's not enough just to stay informed. You need to get active if you actually want to change the world for the better. That's why we promote great activism opportunities every chance we get. Also, I can only reach so many people on my own, but with your help, we can extend that reach. The episode show notes are most likely available on the device you're using to listen right now, and if they're not, you can see them on the website. Simply click the title of any segment you want to share and then easily post it to your social networks or send it directly to friends. 
You joining these actions and helping amplify the show to get even more people involved is critical to our mission to change the world for the better. Get started right now in the show notes on the device you're using or visit the website from any device at bestoftheleft.com. Just to lay it out in the open, so they're, they're no longer hiding this. This is not being hidden. They, they're they just doing it blatantly. So here's I'll play you a couple clips. Uh, here's a guy, here's uh, State Representative Mike T- Terzai, right? He's a Republican representative from Pennsylvania, and here's what he said about voter ID. Voter ID, which is going to allow Governor Romney to win the state of Pennsylvania. Done. Allow. Allow. Wow. That's the, that verb says it all. Yeah, allow. Meaning that we're the people, uh, we're going to suppress the will of the people and we're going to get our person who we want to be in charge in charge. We're going to suppress the will of the people. Mm-hmm. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to undermine democracy. Okay. So here's, uh, here's, the, here's another Republican Party chairman from Pennsylvania. Do you think all the attention drawn to voter ID affected last year's elections? Uh, yeah, I think a little bit. I think we, we probably had a better election. Think about this. Uh, we cut Obama by 5%, uh, which was big. You know, a lot of people lost sight of that. He, he won. He beat McCain by 10%. He only beat, uh, Romney by 5%. I think that probably photo ID had a, a helped a bit in that. <laughs> that's the chairman, that's the chairman of the Pennsylvania Republican Party said that. So he just said it. So now, and here's a here's the famous clip of a precinct chairman from North Carolina. His name is Don Yelton. He's a Republican precinct captain from North Carolina, and he was being interviewed by the Daily Show's uh, reporter. And he was asking Asif, Asif Monby, and they're asking him about uh, vo- the voter ID laws and who's it going to hurt. The law is going to kick the Democrats in the butt. It's- so it's going the law is going to kick the Democrats in the butt. Yeah, that's what he said. So then he said, then he goes on to just in case you weren't sure what he meant. If it hurts a bunch of lazy blacks, it wants the government to give me everything. So be it. And just if it hurts a bunch (laughs) of lazy blacks, so be it. So be it. A bunch of lazy blacks. Some of my best friends are a bunch of lazy blacks. (laughs) And then so then Asaf says this to him. So happens that a lot of those people vote Democrat. Gee. <laughs> so there you go. So they're just saying it blatantly, and the Supreme sure. Court is just like, yeah, I guess that's okay because we're all so racist. Guess what? I don't trust the Supreme Court. Right. So this, again, this, it just goes to show you what Denny Crane sa- said on Boston Legal five years ago is completely true that the Constitution says whatever they want it to say. What do you mean? How does it say? Because, well, we rigged the election, which they did. Uh, they get a guy in. He appoints more people Supreme Court. That Supreme Court agrees with whatever he wants them to say, and that's what happened. They say that uh, they say that corporations are people. Corporations are people. Money is speech. And now they say that uh, voter IDs are not poll taxes. Pay, making people pay money to get a voter ID is not a. So this is. So now here. <laughs> So here is how uh, Chris Matthews. So this is this is so blatant because this will tip. This is really going to tip elections, especially yes. in Texas, because as it has throughout our history. As it has throughout our history. So right. uh, they, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in her dissent, said that up to six hundred thousand people in Texas will be disenfranchised from voting. Six hundred thousand is a there's, lot of people yeah, that can no swing doubt. an election. There's so no that's doubt. why this is important, and that's why. 
This is, they didn't put a voter ID in the Constitution, okay? By the way, there is no voter fraud. There's none. The only, the only voter fraud they found in Wisconsin, by the way, was a guy who voted five times for Scott Walker. Right. Most of the voter, <laughs> the, the, the little bits of voter fraud you find hither and yon yes. are from lunatic right wing. That's right. And by the way, this is voter fraud. Yes. This, passing these laws is voter fraud. Paul Ryan says, we have in our inner cities, his phrase, we are dealing with, quote, a real culture problem in those communities. He says, quote, we have got this tailspin of culture in our inner cities in particular of men not working and just generations of men not even thinking about working or learning the value and the culture of work. So there is a real culture problem here that has to be dealt with. Now, why would he talk like that? Back in 1981, after Lee Atwater helped run Ronald Reagan's campaign for president, Lee Atwater was interviewed by Alexander Lemus, and the a recording of that interview ended up in the hands of Jimmy Carter's son, James Earl Carter, grandson, yeah, James Earl Carter IV. And the Nation magazine published it. And what Lee Atwater said was, and I'm going to tell you what he said, and then I'm going to play it for you. You can actually hear him say it, but it's a little hard to hear some of it, so I'm going to tell you first. He says, you start out in 1954 by saying, and he actually uses the N-word, but N-word, 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 and we've bleeped that, but you can, you'll hear it. He says, by 1968, you can't say N-word. That hurts you. It backfires. So you say stuff like uh, forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff, and you're getting so abstract. Now you're talking now you're talking about cutting taxes and all these things. You're talking about our totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is blacks get hurt worse than whites. We want to cut this, you know, Republicans should say it that way. We want to cut this is much more abstract than even the busing thing, and a hell of a lot more abstract than N-word N-word. You didn't believe the last two? Okay, you could just cut it before we get to the last two, okay? We'll just stop right there after he says a hell of a lot more abstract then. Here, here is Lee Atwater. You start out in 1954 by saying, by 1968 you can't say it, that hurts your backfire, so you say stuff like uh, force busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. And you're getting so abstract now, you're talking about cutting taxes and all of these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and the byproduct of them is... Blacks get hurt worse than whites. And subconsciously, maybe that is part of it. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that if it is getting that abstract and that coded, uh, that, that, we, that we're doing away with the racial problem one way or the other. Uh, you follow me? Obviously, sitting around saying, uh, we want to cut taxes, we want to cut this, and we want is much more abstract than the. Than, the, than even the busing thing, and a hell of a lot more abstract than saying N word, N word. This is Lee Atwater laying out the strategy in 1981, Paul Ryan fulfilling the strategy right now. Here's another example. Back in 1980, another guy who worked on Ronald Reagan's campaign, 
Paul Warrick, who went on to co-found the American Legislative Exchange Council. Alec helped was one of the guys who helped pull together the Heritage Foundation. And several other of these right-wing think tanks worked on every Republican presidential campaign right up to and including George W. Bush. He's, he's now deceased. But he was one of the, he, he was the guy who ran the direct mail operation in Reagan's campaign in 1980. And back then, direct mail was what the Internet is today. He, he raised the money. He made it, he made it possible. He made it work for Ronald Reagan. This is Paul Rayrick speaking to a group of Republican Christian activists in a church basement in Dallas, Texas in 1980. Here he is. Now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. It's, it's right there. And to take this back to Paul Ryan, what is Scott Walker doing in Wisconsin right now? Cutting early voting. I mean, and not just in Wisconsin. You got, you know, some 15, 20 states where Republicans are aggressively making it harder for people to vote. 1980 has come to roost in 2014. These guys are playing from the exact same playbook they have been playing from since 1980. And there you hear it in their own words. Young people, minorities, gays, and women. I know we don't talk much, but this election we have a favor to ask of you. Don't vote on November 4. We've made some desperate attempts to win you over, but let's be honest, it's just getting awkward. We don't get you people. We've spent the past six years doing nothing, so you'd give up on the whole hope and change thing and leave the policy decisions to us. Rich white men protecting our own self-interest. Self-interest like money. Money, 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 money. Money balls. Money trees. Money in the shape of sexy women. We own America. Why is this so complicated? We've done our part to make not voting easier for you. Gerrymandering, changing voting laws, eliminating early voting. Making fake voting stations out of refrigerator boxes. Because fuck you. But there's only so much we can do. The rest is up to you. So don't vote. Don't vote. I think you should not vote. And let us forge a new America, one that's not hampered by minimum wage laws or overtime pay or regulations on credit derivative swaps that celebrates diversity of income based on gender and race. It isn't plagued by discussions of police brutality or inequality. Can I get help? Good God! If global warming is real, then... Why is there ice in my drink? Take that, science. But if all you liberals stay at home this November, 
Republicans will take back the Senate and will be free, unfettered by pesky attempts to overturn Citizens United or maintain net neutrality. No more your bloody blah 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 lady laws or bloody blah blah blue blue immigration. No more nagging about student loan reform or equal pay for equal work. Sure, it would give you more money, but what would you spend it on? Clothes, food, a down payment on a house. That's not what keeps the economy moving. We have better ideas. Like paying successful corporations to create jobs for you. Lowering the business taxes so we businessmen don't actually pay taxes. And space, space fracking. So, this November 4th, refuse to do your job as a citizen just like we do in Congress. Play video games. Watch your Telemundo. Smoke your jukas. Watch your lesbian jail shows. Ride your fixies. Drink craft beer. Cook. Or watch puppy videos. Keep vining, sexting, grinding, skyping, pinning, twerking, whatever it is you, you people are doing, and leave the governing to us. It's unbelievable and frankly outrageous that in the last four years, close to half the states in this country have passed laws making it harder for people to vote. But it's true. And whereas once upon a time in the south of my youth, it was Democrats who used the poll tax, literacy test, and outright intimidation to keep black people from voting, today it's the Republicans working the levers of suppression, as if something in their DNA demands it. Listen. To one of the founding fathers of the conservative movement, Paul Weirich, back in 1980. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. So the right has become relentless in trying every trick to keep certain people from voting, and conservative control of the Supreme Court gives them a leg up. Last year's decision, Shelby County v. Holder, revoked an essential provision of the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and that has only upped the ante, encouraging many state Republican legislators to impose restrictive voter ID laws as well as gerrymander congressional districts and limit registration and voting hours. The rights rationale is that people are manipulating the system to cheat and throw elections but rarely can they offer any proof of anyone, anywhere, trying illegally to cast a ballot. So, what's going on? A question for my guests. Sherilyn Eiffel is president of the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. She's a noted civil rights litigator whose work has included landmark voting rights cases. She's the author of On the Courthouse Lawn, Confronting the Legacy of Lynching in the 21st Century. Ari Berman is a contributing writer at The Nation magazine and during the 2012 elections, the first national reporter to cover voter suppression issues. He's currently writing a book titled, Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America, to be published next summer. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. So just a couple of weeks before the midterm elections, how do we know if these voter suppression efforts are working? 
Well, what we do know in Texas, where we just litigated a major case involving uh, voter ID, we know that more than 600,000 registered voters will not be able to vote in this November's election because they lack the photo ID required by the new Texas law and because the Supreme Court has said that the election can proceed even though a federal court has found that that photo ID law discriminates against black and Latino voters. Yes, the judge in Texas ruled that it was unconstitutional. And yet, last Saturday, the Supreme Court said, let the election go forward. What was their rationale? The most charitable rationale we can give to the Supreme Court's decision is that it's consistent with other decisions they've made, um, in which essentially their view is, if it's very close to the election, and, and certainly this was close to the election, early voting started this week, that they shouldn't disturb the status quo, that you don't change the processes of election so close to an actual election. And, and what's your objection to that? We have a federal judge who found that this photo ID law was created to intentionally discriminate against black and Latino voters in violation of the United States Constitution. And it seems to me this puts that case in an entirely different category. To allow that election law to go forward and to allow the disenfranchisement of more than half a million voters based on a law that a federal judge has found intentionally discriminates, to me, really challenges at the core our democracy. Run down, if you can, uh, some of the states where voter suppression is happening as we speak. After that Shelby County decision, North Carolina passed the most sweeping set of voting restrictions since the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. Key parts of that law are now in effect, cutting early voting by a week, eliminating same-day registration during the early voting period, preventing out-of-precinct ballots from being counted, eliminating public financing of judicial elections. Down we go. That's now in effect. That's a crucial swing state where Democrat Kay Hagan is running against Republican Tom Tillis. That race alone could control the Senate. We have Kansas, another state where there's a very contested Senate race where they've adopted a new proof of citizenship requirement for voter registration. You have to now show your birth certificate to register to vote. 15,000 voter registrations are currently on hold as a result of that decision. You look at Georgia, another state where there's a highly contested Senate race. 85,000 new voters have been registered by a group called the New Georgia Project. They've subsequently been subpoenaed by the Republican Secretary of state there for alleged voter registration fraud, even though there's been almost no cases. Now we have 50,000 new voter registration applicants that are on hold in Georgia, people who might not be able to register, might not be able to vote in that state. So those are just three crucial swing states in which there are new voting restrictions on the books. Why are you both convinced that these efforts are malevolent? The other side claims that they're necessary to prevent uh, voter fraud, to make sure that the person who's voting is actually the person who should be voting. Well, we've been hearing about this for some years. Remember, Bill, prior to 2006, no state required a photo ID to vote. You and I voted, I'm sure, for many years, for many decades. We arrived at the polls. We had our voter registration card, which does not have a photo on it, and we voted. And, and this was fine um, until suddenly we had this issue of voter fraud being raised. And although the issue of voter fraud has been raised, it's never been proven. In Texas, where we litigated this case, where the state of Texas was all in to defend their photo ID law, they were only able to identify two instances of in-person voter fraud since 2002. If you look at all of the data that's been collected and analyzed by the best political scientists and social scientists, there is no evidence of statistically significant voter fraud. So you've created a system that disenfranchises millions of voters to try and solve a problem that you can't prove exists.
There's been one billion votes cast since 2000 and only 31 cases of voter impersonation. So that just shows you that it's not a problem. Why do we suddenly start hearing about this after the 2000 election? What happened in 2008? The election of Barack Obama. And what we saw is this coalition of the ascendant, is what Emerging they called it. Demographics. Yes. Young people, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, women. That's the future of the country. Not just the future of the electorate, but the future of the country demographically. Is racism behind this? Well, I can only tell you what the uh, judge in Texas said. The voter ID law in Texas intentionally discriminates against African-American and Hispanic voters. It's not my opinion. That's what was found by a federal district judge. And I think you're absolutely right about the 2008 election of, of President Obama and this kind of ascendant electorate. But when people first began really talking about voter fraud in the 2006-2007 period, who were these people who were showing up uh, allegedly to vote when they couldn't vote? Remember, it was happening in the context of what was a very ugly conversation about immigration. The idea was that there were Latinos who were showing up, Hispanic people showing up from Mexico and other countries who couldn't vote, who were now voting. So once again, the engine that was driving the voter fraud conversation really had at its root this issue of race and ethnicity. You know, this is the first uh, election since the Supreme Court's decision last year, throwing out the provision of the 1965 uh, Voting Rights Act, which required states with the worst discriminatory practices uh, to approve their voting changes with the federal government. To what extent is all of this the result of that decision? One-third of the states that were previously covered by Section 5 have passed or implemented new voting restrictions since that decision. And so we're seeing right now the greatest restriction of voting rights since the end of Reconstruction, where states feel like they can now get away with this. And they've been waging really a two-pronged war. One is to pass these new voting restrictions in the states that we've been talking about. The second is to then challenge the constitutionality of key provisions of the Voting Rights Act to make it harder to block these changes. And I think, again, coming back to North Carolina is a really good example of the Shelby decision. The North Carolina House passed a 14-page voter ID bill in April of 2013. Then, a month after the Shelby County decision, that 14-page bill becomes a 57-page bill that essentially either repeals or curtails every voting reform in North Carolina that made it easier for people to vote. So then that voter ID law becomes much, much stricter, as strict as Texas. They're cutting early voting. They're eliminating same-day registration. They're doing all these things, and they did it, as they said, because they no longer had to deal with the quote-unquote headache of having to approve their voting changes with the federal government. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofleft.com to shop at just one of the major companies with the insatiable profit incentive to help perpetuate the destructive paradigm of overconsumption and exploitative capital. 
capitalism. Better yet, go ahead and click through to the Amazon site that serves your country just once and then bookmark it to use every time you shop, which should be as rarely as possible. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumerism altogether or at least consuming in a subversive way. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, the Voting Rights Amendment Act. As this episode posts, election results are rolling in. Across the country, people are voting for candidates to determine the makeup of state houses, school boards, and our Congress, as well as potentially approving ballot measures that could expand, ensure, or decimate constitutional rights to privacy, health care, and voting itself. Who could have even thought that a decade ago, voting rights would need to appear on a ballot? Many of you before hearing today's episode were probably foolish enough to believe that everyone in America believed in that romantic romanticized notion of one man, one vote. Setting aside the intentional gender disparity and land ownership requirements that disenfranchise the poor and people of color of that original phrase, the foundation of our country has always been that of representative government. Over the decades, access to the ballot has expanded, not contracted. People have risked imprisonment and even death to bring the right to vote to more and more of our citizenry. So why would anyone who claims to love this country do anything to roll back progress through voter suppression? Turns out the GOP, despite their love for democracy in America has known for some time that they don't do as well when everyone votes. And so state houses controlled by the GOP wasted no time following the Supreme Court decision gutting the Voting Rights Act two summers ago. Every imaginable type of voter suppression law has passed somewhere. Voter ID requirements, the systematic elimination of early and expanded hour voting days, threatening voter registration drive organizers with imprisonment, and more. And if you really want to grasp the full horrific landscape of voter suppression laws, just read everything from Ari Berman at The Nation. As in so many areas, it's time we stopped only saying no to bad legislation and started pushing proactive measures. Enter VRA for Today, a project of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights backed by the Brennan Center. They're demanding that this Congress, and certainly the next one, pass the Voting Rights Amendment Act to, quote, enact modern nationwide protections against discrimination at the ballot box, unquote. Visit their website, vrafortoday.org, and follow them on Twitter via the hashtag VRA4, that's the number four, VRA for today, or directly on their handle, Civil Rights Org. You can still sign their petition beyond today's election and access resources like videos, news updates, and reports of VRA violations. You may be disillusioned with national politics here at Best of the Left. That is certainly a sentiment that's understood, but your ability to vote for ballot initiatives, like the vote I just cast to legalize small amounts of marijuana in Washington, D.C., votes for our school board members and state reps, votes that make a real difference at the local level is affected by voter suppression efforts just as much as your ability to vote for the presidency and Congress. All of our work, all of our progress is invalidated if we lose the fundamental ability to have a say on election day. Visit vrafortoday.org and get involved before the next election cycle, or you may find yourself standing on the sidelines. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional 
additional resources. And as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. If basic democracy matters to you, be sure to hit the share button to spread the word about VRA for today via social media so that others in your network can join the movement to expand voter protections too. There is no constitutional issue here. The command of the Constitution is plain. There is no moral issue. It is wrong, deadly wrong, to deny any of your fellow Americans the right to vote in this country. There is no issue of states' rights or national rights. There is only the struggle for human rights. I have not the slightest doubt what will be your answer. But the last time a president sent a civil rights bill to the Congress, it contained a provision to protect voting rights in federal elections. That civil rights bill was passed after eight long months of debate. And when that bill came to my desk from the Congress for my signature, the heart of the voting provision had been eliminated. This time... On this issue, there must be no delay or no hesitation or no compromise with our purpose. We cannot, we must not, refuse to protect the right of every American to vote in every election that he may desire to participate in. And we ought not, and we cannot, and we must not wait another eight months before we get a bill. We have 
already waited a hundred years and more, and the time for waiting is gone. So I ask you to join me in working long hours and nights and weekends, if necessary, to pass this bill. And I don't make that request lightly. Far from the window where I sit with the problems of our country, I recognize that from outside this chamber is the outraged conscience of a nation, the grave concern of many nations, and the harsh judgment of history on our acts. But even if we pass this bill, the battle will not be over. What happened in Selma is part of a far larger movement which reaches into every section and state of America. It is the effort of American Negroes to secure for themselves the full blessings of American life. Their cause must be our cause too. Because it's not just Negroes, but really it's all of us who must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice. And we shall overcome. I'm not voting Republican or Democrat probably ever again. I'm kind of done with the parties as they stand. I'm going third party. Uh, even if I have to write somebody in, I'm going to financially support a third party candidate. I don't know who yet, but there's got to be somebody out there. And the main reason I've decided to do this is uh, real recently, actually, um, when Congress basically ran away in terror at the thought of doing a debate or taking a vote on our actions in Syria and Iraq, I, I was almost, I was just amazed that Congress would, would, would be so terrified of doing their job that they would just basically do nothing. And the amount of days they've taken off, the amount of vacations they've had, it's absolutely ridiculous. Congress, at this point, is not even doing their job. And they don't seem to care. They're so content and the knowledge that the, their party system is always going to prevail, that they, they don't they don't sense any threats. From, from the, the only threat they sense is the other side. No outside threats are they even worried about. We have to change that. And for that reason, I'm going third party. And I hope a lot of Americans join me in that. Because even if I didn't like the Democrat policies, I would at least want them to show up to work and get something passed, or at least do a debate, something. 
not this nothing policy that all of Congress is basically doing right now. On all the big stuff, foreign policy, oil, taxes, Democrats and Republicans, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. I, I think this is just absolutely, just shows what horrible things happen when you just let two parties entrench themselves. They, they know how to move the meter, and they know how to not cause too much controversy. They know how to stay in power. And that's really all they're concerned about, collecting that paycheck. Or they're concerned about making their corporate interests satisfied enough so they can go take a cushy job when they leave Congress. It's ridiculous. So, yet again, going third party. That's all I had, Jay. And I love the show. And by the way, I love it when you do language bits about what language really means, you know. I like to think of myself as an observant person, but then when somebody points out what language is being used, it's like, wow, you know, I really did have the scales of my eyes there. So those are always my favorite bits, and uh, I appreciate you doing them. Thanks, man. Bye. Hey, Jay, it's Dave here from Canada again. I just uh, was listening to the last episode. One of your listeners called in about elections, talking about Ralph Nader and Al Gore and we need to worry about vote splitting and things like that, whereas it's like progressive. And, uh, just thought I'd give you a little perspective. I'm from uh, Alberta and Canada. Uh, we got kind of a screwy little system here in our province, which is just like one of your states. Uh, we've actually got two right-wing parties, and then we've got like three, four different left-wing parties right now. <laughs> it just always grows and expands, and then they retreat down. It's kind of silly, but... That's the way it works, and uh, well, in our last election, what happened is everybody was so afraid of the really hardcore right-wing party that a lot of progressives actually voted for the slightly less to the right right-wing party just to keep the other ones out of power. And what ended up happening is they got a huge majority, the uh, slightly less right-wing party did, who has been in power now for like some 40 years, so like <laughs> more than a decade longer than I've been alive, they've been in power. And they promptly became just drunk with power and uh, the, the uh, premier, which is kind of like our state governor, uh, she got, she figured she was uh, doing so well, she committed just a ton of excesses, was using the public checkbook to build herself a private penthouse and using the private plane for her and her daughter and her daughter's friends. It just became so big and bad that the, the, her party actually threw her out. It, it was that bad. And the end result of all this now is that we've actually got more progressive parties than we did last time. And the right-wing party that was way further to the right has moved slightly to the left and is now positioned to become the next government. So all that, that strategic voting, all that did for us was get us a pretty bad government that didn't live up to any of their progressive promises, like building schools, for instance. And put us closer to getting that right-wing party while splitting the left-wing vote even more. I mean, it's such a complicated issue. I can totally see where your call is coming from. You know, when you see the Ralph Nader Al Gore thing, you're like, what's going to happen? But And sometimes you feel like, well, would it even make a difference? Like, so what if Al Gore was there? Do you really think there would be a huge difference? I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to tell right now, but I just wanted to let you guys know. It ain't, it ain't any different up here. We're in Canada. We've got the same issues. I'm pretty. I'm, I'm willing to bet if you go anywhere in the world, you're going to have the same issues. And really, stuff every individual person's got to look at and make the decision with your vote. I mean, it's your vote. It's something they can't take away from you. 
make that decision, make it count, and just make sure it represents you, because that's really what it's about. Make that sure that vote really represents what you believe. Beyond that, you know, we, we you can't control the whole population. That's why we have a democracy. Everybody's going to make their own votes. Don't worry about them. At least that's my philosophy. Thanks a lot, Jay. Have a good one. Uh, catch you on the flip side. Hello, Dan Platt from Albany again. I just left the message. What I did leave out is that the message that our Green Party candidate for Governor Howie Hawkins usually responds to when asked about, is he a spoiler? We answer that you should vote for what you want. It's better to vote for what you want and maybe not get it than vote for what you don't want and know that you're going to get it. If you vote for a lesser to either evil, you know for a fact that you're going to get evil especially in a time when the Democrat is not that much better than a Republican. Because when it comes to the race here in New York, we basically have two governors and the Green. I mean, <laughs> two Republicans and a Green. So my direct message is that we need to be brave. To be brave, not just in the voting booth, of course, but in all other endeavors. Because the times today and the times ahead, especially with the Republicans going to be in charge of the Senate, these are not going to be times for the timid. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. Now, I want to reply to the voicemails we just heard about voting and the whole process in general, especially Dan, who was talking about voting with the Green Party. He actually left another message in which he talks about how he works with the Green Party, so he has that perspective, and and he kind of rehashed the whole Gore versus Nader arguments of who's really to blame for Bush being president, and no offense to Dan, but that is one of the most tiresome conversations I can even imagine having, so I'm going to skip right over that one and, and go to you know the way this conversation started, you know, the previous caller called in. And said, you know, with that in our history, should we, you know, be concerned about that? Should we strategize based on that? What have we learned from it? And so on. So looking forward, totally happy to talk about it. So let's do that. Um, you know, the, the, those types of fights are always over. Is someone, is the third party being a spoiler, right? That, that's how it's always framed. And, you know, there's basically the idea that, uh, third parties should, I don't know, like butt out, uh, don't spoil it for the rest of us, uh, help us elect the lesser of two evils. And, you know, we, we don't need a third option or whatever versus, Hey, you know, anyone should be allowed to try to get votes. And if they earn the votes, well, then they earned them. And, you know, they're not a spoiler. If, if, uh, you know, if you didn't get enough votes to win, then you spoiled your own election by not being a good enough candidate. That's sort of how the argument goes. And what I think is, you know, the basic idea of a spoiler is that, uh, you know, when two somewhat like-minded candidates are, are both running and they split the vote, then allowing, you know, a, a third candidate who gets a minority of the votes ends up winning, even though a majority of people don't want them to win. That, that's sort of my idea of a spoiled election. And what I think the spoiler factor is, is neither of the candidates 
it's the system itself is spoiled. The system is set up to allow elections to become spoiled like that. So, I mean, it happens in a couple of ways. First of all, the Electoral College is asinine and should go, but that's not what I'm focusing on today. Secondly, though, there is a better system. You know, I'm sure there are lots of different ideas. This is just the best one I've heard of. There is a better system uh, available. We don't use it, but we should. Uh, it's called instant runoff voting. It's also, I, I just happened to look it up on uh, Wikipedia today, and it's referred to as a bunch of other things that I'd never heard of. Single transferable vote, alternative vote, uh, ranked choice voting, preferential voting. And, you know, th- th- this is what we should be debating. If we weren't having to relitigate the entire goddamn civil rights movement and we were sort of doing okay and we we weren't trying to just block the republicans from decimating our already barely functional uh electoral system then we'd be like oh you know we have a pretty okay electoral system how could we how could we perfect it a little bit more and then we'd be talking about instant runoff voting instead of uh just trying to allow people to not be disenfranchised. Anyways, uh, I, I tried to find like a concise explanation on YouTube or something like that to uh, to demonstrate this to you guys. It really it, it turns out it doesn't translate to audio very well because if you try to give an example of an election, trying to describe it really really doesn't work. So I'm going to do my best just to describe the essential components. And the basic idea is that. You, you know, everyone still gets just one vote, but everyone also gets to, rather than just choosing one candidate, you know, do I vote for Nader or do I vote for Bush? You get to pick multiple candidates and rank them according to your preference. And if the candidate who you have chosen as your top ranked candidate is, you know, ends up in last place or, or is below a certain cutoff line, then instead of having your vote essentially wasted on a candidate who didn't come anywhere close to winning, you instantly get to have your second choice be the vote that actually counts. So if we went with the Gore-Nader situation, then theorizing that Nader voters would have put Gore as their second choice, well, then when Nader came in with 2% of the vote or whatever he got, well, then those people would have still gotten to, you know, they voted their conscience, they voted for the person they wanted to vote for, but then they also thought either strategically or just, you know, the way they actually felt was, well, my genuine second choice would be Gore. And so when Nader didn't reach a certain threshold, then it would be their second choice vote that would sort of be activated and that would be allocated where they wanted it to go, whether it be Bush or Gore. Theoretically, most of them would have gone to Gore. So that that's just a real simple way of, of describing it. I, you know, if you're interested, I highly recommend you go read up more on it or watch some of those interesting YouTube videos. Um, but basically, what this means is that it eliminates the idea that a person could throw their vote away. You know, people always say, "Why would you vote for a third party?" You're basically throwing your vote away. And so, with this system. That goes away. You get to vote for exactly who you want to vote for, and there's no way anyone would say that you're throwing your vote away because you know, as long as you're filling in a second or a third or a fourth choice, 
then your vote is always going to count for someone who either wins or comes very close to winning. It also eliminates the need to strategize because you have, you know, sort of, it's like having more than one vote and you get to have your strategy just be how you rank them. But like we heard in the disaster from the the caller from Canada talked about, uh, you know, all the progressives apparently didn't vote for the progressive party, but voted for the moderate conservatives in, you know, just to try to keep out the crazy conservatives. Well, under an instant, uh, instant runoff voting system, they wouldn't have had to do that. They could have voted for who they actually wanted to, the progressives. And then as part of their strategy, could have voted for the moderate conservatives. But what that may have done is, you know, had the crazy conservatives not meet the threshold at all. So they would have been, you know, dumped off immediately. And then it would have been between, you know, the, the two somewhat reasonable parties. And then lastly, I mean, probably not even lastly, but also it eliminates the need for bravery the way Dan was describing. Um, you know, you could actually vote for who you want to. You don't have to trust that, well, my vote will mean something if a lot of other people do it too. You can just actually vote for who you want to. And, you know, if, if there is one thing that would make third party, uh, candidates viable in this country, it is instant runoff voting because nothing would empower voters more to vote for a third party than the knowledge that they can do that without running the risk of having their vote wasted. So, you know, I mean, bravery is a great thing, but we shouldn't need for voters to be brave. We should have a system that works in a way that there is no need for bravery, which is certainly easier to achieve anyways. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but people don't tend to be all that brave. So money in politics, electoral college, instant runoff voting. It's like the, the triforce of bringing democracy back to America the way I see it. Now, to wrap up, I have some final guesses on uh, what's wrong with my voice. Just to just to sort of recap, a guy wrote in a couple of weeks ago and saying, "Hey, he's a new listener. He said, great show. I just need you to change one thing that's annoying that you do with your voice. Other than that, everything's great." And I was so amused by the thing he asked me to change, I I thought people should see if they could guess what it was, and I, I gave a hint that it wasn't creaky voice or, or vocal fry as is uh, a popular popular thing to complain about these days. So a couple of people didn't hear those hints. So a lot of people guessed that I already gave a, a couple of answers. People gave my, my favorite so far was that I um, draw out some of my syllables and sound like I'm doing a really short Gregorian chant, <laughs> which I find amusing. Uh, more people have written in or, or called and left messages saying uh, voice cracking, audible swallowing, heavy articulation of T sounds, uh, that I'm nasally, that I have up talk, you know, an upward inflection at the end of sentences that makes everything I say sound like a question or that I'm apologizing for something, uh, that I breathe in between sentences. Uh, this is another good one. Someone said that I have a bit of a Forrest Gump inflection. And so it, it, what, what amuses me most is imagining someone describing this show to someone who hasn't heard it. So, oh, you should check out Best of Left. It's a great compilation of progressive voices. And there's this host, you know, he talks a little bit at the end. And sometimes he says interesting things. But, you know, he has a 
creaky vocal fry nasally voice that cracks. He, he swallows audibly, articulates T sounds a lot, um, breathes between sentences, has a bit of a Forrest Gump inflection, and sometimes sounds like he's doing a really short Gregorian chant. And you can only imagine the image that would put into someone's head. Yeah, you know, they would assume I'm, you know, a, a hunchback named Igor. Oh yeah, that that show that sounds interesting. I'll uh, I'll definitely check that one out. And then they wouldn't. But anyways, I, I brought this whole thing up just because I I found the real answer, which no one uh, managed to guess, so amusing that I, I wanted to be able to reveal it. So here's the big reveal. Guy writes in, says, "Love the show, but could you please stop yodeling?" Which, which couldn't be more perfect because it's, uh, it's a thing that I've never heard of a person doing as a speech pattern. But yodel is also one of the funniest words in the English language. So uh, it just really uh, hit my funny bone just right. And so I responded, as you might imagine, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he responded, like incredulous really come on you don't hear it just listen like it's so obvious you say it you know it's at the end of every sentence in every show that i've heard and it devolved real quick from there so uh the, the whole exchange was uh amusing i did the whole story in a members only bonus show and uh katie sent me a message after she heard it saying, you know, she listens to a lot of podcasts. She finds a lot of people's voice, uh, irritating. And she laughed all the way through hearing, hearing this guy, uh, complain about me. So, uh, you know, if you want to check that out, I recommend it. Uh, it's for members only sign up for a membership at bestofleft.com. Uh, but that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Th- I mean, thanks to everyone for, uh, sending in their guesses. I, I, I found this exactly as amusing as I hoped I would. Uh, thanks for those who support the show, of course, uh, by becoming members or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestofleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame How we get so trained